So you're meeting someone for the first time. And it's just in sort of a casual setting. Maybe, maybe you weren't planning on meeting them. Maybe you're one of those guys, notice it's guys, who are sitting in the benches at the mall. I've been told the mall has stores. This I don't know. I know they have benches at the mall. And somebody comes along and sits beside you to kind of strike up a conversation. Or, or maybe it's they got there a few minutes early for your child's t-ball practice to, to finish and somebody else did and you're just waiting for the practice to finish. And so while you're sitting on the bleachers or maybe in your cars, you just strike up a conversation and get to know them a little bit and just start talking about, hey, you know, where are you from? What do you do for a living? And because of the part of the, the country in which we live, it's, it's not that uncommon for a discussion of some type of religion, faith, church, those sorts of things to be just part of that getting to know you conversation. Maybe you just ask them, where do you go to church? And you've already asked them what they do for a living and things, and so it's just not that uncommon. And Then they give you an answer that might be something that kind of you go, wait a second. They start to name a church with all kinds of names in front of it, or maybe they describe their Christianity in a certain way with all kinds of descriptions and things. And because you've asked that, and that's the answer they've given you're kind of nervous maybe that they're going to return the question. And maybe they ask this instead. And what are you? How do you answer that question? Maybe you're tempted to say something like, I'm Church of Christ. <laughs> maybe you're tempted to say you know, something, something along the lines of, I'm non-denominational. I, I, you know, it's, it's an odd question when someone asks that. You know, and, and, what, and what are you? Because we don't want to try to say something offensive. You don't want to try to be passive-aggressive. You also, of course, don't want to be untruthful. You want to say something that's true. And so most of us might just say something like, you know, I attend a church of Christ, or I attend the central church of Christ, or something like that. But it is interesting, is it not, that if we were to answer that question and simply say, I'm a Christian. That that would almost be a foreign concept. The idea that there could be something that simple. That there could be something with no qualifiers on the beginning, no descriptors at the beginning and the end, but just simply say, I'm a Christian. That become sort of a, a foreign concept. You think about the religious world in which we live, even, especially in our part of the culture, in our part of the country. It's amazing how we have to put qualifiers and modifiers on that term to describe sort of who we are. So it might put a, a denominational name. They might say they're a Christian, but also I, I, I'm this. And they, they put some blank in, in front of that or after it to, to describe the, the brand or the type of Christianity that they, they ascribe to. Or sometimes even people who would call themselves members of the Lord's Church have to put some kind of qualifier because they want to make sure that you know what kind of Christian they are. I'm, I'm a moderate Christian, or I'm a, I'm a progressive Christian, or I'm a conservative Christian, or we're kind of right-leaning, or we're kind of left-leaning Christians, or whatever it happens to be. Is it possible for the word Christian just to be enough? Is that enough? What I want to do with you this morning is notice that that word, Christian or Christians, is only found three times in your Bible. I thought about saying, we're going to study every time that word is found and see how many people walked out. Like, oh man, we're going to be here forever. But it's only found three times. And what I want to do is simply notice something about that word in each of those three contexts 
that helps us to see that it really is enough. It really is enough just to say, I am a Christian. We are Christians. The first comes from that scripture we read together just a few moments ago in Acts chapter 11 and reminds us that Christian is a divinely given name. 700 years or thereabouts before Acts chapter 11, Isaiah the prophet was here giving his prophecy in the world. And if you've read through that very long book, 66 chapters in your Old Testament, for one thing it took you a little while, but you probably noticed that some of the prophecies that Isaiah gave, like the prophets all throughout the Old Testament, were for the people of his day. Here's some things that are going to happen right now. Here's some things you need to know right now. While other things were for the future. In fact, quite a, quite a distance in the future. As we have noticed it from secular history, about 700 years before Jesus would come into the world, 30 more years or so before the church was established. And some of those things were what they like to call foretelling. In other words, telling the future. Uh, foretelling for their day and time, excuse me, foretelling for telling the future. And in that book, one of those foretelling things, in other words, one of those things for the future, is found all the way back in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 2. Now we could study it in a great deal of context and things, but I wanted just to notice that verse, because it's going to tie to Acts chapter 11. Isaiah 62 and verse 4, The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Now some of you are reading from a translation this morning, and instead of the nations, where I read that in verse 2, you have the Gentiles. And that's fine. That's what they would have heard when they heard the nations. In other words, he's talking to Jews. He's basically saying everybody else. And if you continue reading through Isaiah chapter 62, there's all this prophecy about this delight between God and His people. But the key to it is when that new name was given. And it was given by God, the new name that the Lord Himself will give. But it's tied to something about the nations or the Gentiles. Here's your deep Bible lesson for this morning. Acts 11 follows Acts 10. I know I spent a long time studying that this week. It took a while. A lot of commentaries. What happens in Acts chapter 10? In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his household hear the gospel. And by the end of that chapter, they're converted to Christ. They're baptized. He and his household are. So what? There's a lot of conversion accounts in the book of Acts. It's one of the great things about that book. But what makes that one stand out is that Cornelius and his household were the first Gentile converts. All the way up through Acts chapter 9, you have the Jews being converted. You have the Ethiopian eunuch who was there to worship. He was probably a believer in the Jewish religion as well. But now in Acts chapter 10, you have Cornelius, a Gentile, who is converted. And then you roll into Acts chapter 11, and you begin to have Peter and others saying, here's what happened. We, we went to Cornelius' house and, and we, we converted them and the gospel has come to the Gentiles. That's why when Turner read a few moments ago, he picked up in, in the middle of sort of a saying, uh, a paragraph there, where they're talking about that going on, that the Gentiles have been converted. Thankfully, the people were thankful about it at this point in time. There, there'll be some scuffle about it throughout the early church, but right now they're excited about it. And how did that scripture reading end? In Acts 11 and verse 26. At Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Oh, wait a minute. Wouldn't the divinely given name be something like disciples? No. 
if you were in the class in here on Wednesday night, you remember we talked about that word a little bit, and all it really means is a learner or a follower or a student. And that word had been around for a long time. Rabbis had disciples. They had students. John the Baptist had disciples. He had students. He had followers. It wasn't a new name. It was a common word. Even the word church, ecclesia, was a common word. We like it because of the religious tones of it, but it was just a word that just means to be called out. And it was sometimes even used of things like an assembly, a civil assembly or a civic assembly, because you called people out to meet in a certain place. That was a common word. But now, Acts 10, the Gentiles, the nations, have heard the gospel. Acts 11, they're talking about it. And at that time, a new name is given. For the first time, disciples, believers, followers, learners are called the ones of Christ, Christians. It is a divinely given name. And as such, we need to make sure that we treat it as important. In his comments on the book of Acts, Alexander Campbell pointed out just by way of your Bible study that from this point on in the book of Acts for several chapters, Antioch will be, in his words, the seat of what he calls the Christian movement. Now, it's not it's the headquarters of the church, but you might know if you follow the book of Acts that for a few chapters from here on out, Antioch becomes kind of the center place where Paul was sound missionary journeys and those sorts of things. But it's also interesting that in Acts 11 and verse 26, we're told that they were called Christians. That word carries the idea of a business transaction. Wayne Jackson, his commentary, says it's a, it's a uh, appropriate word because their primary business was following Jesus. I like that. Their primary business was following Jesus. When you and I use the word Christian, we're not just using some name that we have made up or people have made up or anything like that. We are given the name that was prophesied 700 years before it was ever used at just the right time. When Jews and Gentiles came together in this one, this group that follows the Christ, we might say it's a unifying word because there is no other name given among heaven, given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And it's not just for Jews, and it's not just for Gentiles. Christian is a divinely given name. Number two, consider that Christian is also a name to be proud of. And I want to take, we're going to take these out of order as far as where they're found in Scripture and also chronologically, but I want to do that for this reason. We love the name Christian. I hope, I hope we do. But because we love it so much, and we've just talked about how it's a divinely given name, we might think, well, then, then everybody must love this name. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to see that not everybody loves the name of Christian. In 1 Peter chapter 4, while you're turning there, let me remind you that Peter was writing to people who were going through an extremely difficult time. If you read the beginning of that letter that we call 1 Peter, he writes to Christians who were in the dispersion. They were dispersed for their faith. When we studied this book in Teens of the Word, we like to use the phrase, they were running for their lives. They were, they were constantly going through difficulty. And he has to bring back that concept of persecution and difficulty over and over and over again in his writings. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 12, I want you to see what Peter said. 1 Peter 4, beginning of verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Pause right there for a second. I know, I know we're getting to the word Christian in a second, but pause for a second. And think about what he's saying up to this point. First he tells them, don't be surprised when persecution comes. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. He's already told them it's going to happen, and he's saying again, it's going to happen. But then he also says in verse 15, that when people suffer for doing things that are wrong and evil, we understand that. If, if someone is, is a murderer... We don't like that they're a murderer, but we understand when, when justice comes to them, when there's, when there's punishment for that. Verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You mean to tell me that if I lose my job because I'm a Christian, Or if I'm written up on social media because I'm a Christian. Or society completely pushes us to the margins because we are Christians. Or if I'm just blasted at school because I hold the Christian morality. Or if everyone at work makes fun of me because I'm the one who won't go along with things because I'm a Christian. Are you telling me that I'm not supposed to be ashamed because of that? 100% that's what Peter is saying. 100% that's what he's saying. And there's a lot of reasons why. But one of the main reasons why would simply be because when I suffer for wearing the name of Christ, I'm following in the footsteps of Christ. They didn't like Him either. They didn't like what He taught either. And He was, of course, even put to death for what He taught and did. It's not that we invite persecution into our lives. But Peter is saying, if I can say that I'm suffering, if I'm going through difficulty because of my faith, I have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Jesus had said the same thing, basically, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 26, when He said that if anyone is ashamed of me or of my words, of him the Son of Man be ashamed. And it was, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't be ashamed of Jesus or of His words. But also don't be ashamed to wear the name Christian. And Christian only. It is a name to be proud of. It is something that was divinely given, and it's a name that we can wear with honor and respect. And number three, Christian is a non-denominational name. I want you to turn near the end of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, you're in this series of, of section where series of scripture, excuse me, where Paul was going through these trials and all these things and Sometimes it gets confusing who he's in front of and what's going on and all that sort of thing. In Acts 26, beginning of verse 24, he's in front of Agrippa and Festus. And I want you to read what he says. We're going to read beginning in verse 24. Acts 26, beginning in verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Some translations have it driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. 
For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, there was a short or long time, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. Now, there are a lot of sermons found in that one paragraph. But I want to just simply think about a couple of things from what goes on in this exchange. Keep in mind that Paul talks to Festus in a respectful way, and one of the things he says is basically, you know what's going on. It's, it's not that Festus understood everything, but he knew about Jesus, and he knew about this, this movement to follow Jesus, because in Paul's words, this wasn't done in a corner. It, it, this wasn't some secret rabbi who had some group at, out in a cave somewhere, and nobody really knew what was going on. These people were out in the marketplaces talking about Jesus. They were preaching on, on hilltops and, and going into cities and trying to convert people. And, and Paul was saying, you, you know what's going on. This wasn't done in a corner. But look back through what Paul said. Why did Agrippa ask about becoming a Christian? Has Paul used that word a single time? Nope. So far as we have recorded, Paul never used the word. He, he talked about how he was converted earlier in the chapter. And, and now he's just simply saying... You know these things, Festus. You, you know what's going on. In fact, you, you at least know something about the prophets. You have some familiarity with the Old Testament, we might say. You, you know what's going on. So why did Agrippa ask about becoming a Christian? You may have translations that have something like, you know, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian, which makes for a great invitation song. Um, or almost you persuade me to become a Christian, or in a short time would you persuade me to become a Christian, whatever the correct translation of the first part of that is, how did Agrippa know to ask about becoming a Christian? When Paul had never used the word. Why didn't Agrippa ask about, I, I, Paul, what brand of Christianity would you have me become a part of? What, what sect of Christianity are you trying to tell me about? Paul, which denomination are you telling me to join? Paul, are you telling me to become a progressive Christian or conservative Christian? Paul, are you trying to tell me to be right-wing or, or, or left-wing? Why did he just say Christian? Folks, if Paul was trying to convert Agrippa to anything else, he failed miserably. And it's interesting that Paul hadn't used the word so by implication, is it not just simply true that Agrippa knew that's what these people were calling themselves? That's what these people believed in and held to and knew that we are Christ's ones. We are Christians. Paul, that's what you're trying to get me to become. Now Agrippa didn't at that point in time. But does it not tell us a whole lot about the unique nature of that name? It's a non-denominational name. Paul was not trying to convert anyone to some brand of Christianity or some fill-in-the-blank Christian or Christian fill-in-the-blank. He was trying to tell people, you need to follow Jesus 
period. And when you do, you wear His name and His name only. And so you're back at that ball field or that bench at the mall and someone's asked you the question, and, and, and what are you? How do you answer? Oh, most of the time we'll say something like, I, I attend the Church of Christ, or I, I attend the Central Church of Christ, or something like that. And that's fine. That's fine. But sometime, answer that question by just saying, I, I'm just trying to be a Christian like I read about in the Bible. That's all I'm trying to be. Here's why I say that's a good answer to give. For one thing, it's true, I hope. But also, because what you'll probably get back is something like, oh, that's great, I am too. That's what I'm trying to be too. To which you should be able to say, great. Because if that's true, both of us should be able to open our Bible and make sure we're doing what's right. The same one who stood before Agrippa and tried to convince him is the same one who also said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same spirit. How do we do that? It is not, it is not by just going along to get along. In other words, you have your way and 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 somehow we're all going to end up on the, in the same destination when Jesus Himself said, I am the way. Okay? If that's true then, how do we all speak the same thing, have no divisions among us, when, when there's all this religion, religious confusion around us, how do we do that? We go back to Jesus. We go back to Jesus. We make sure that we're not trying to be a fill-in-the-blank Christian or a certain brand of Christianity or a certain denomination of Christianity. We say, I'm proud to be a Christian because it's the name that God chose because it's a name that I can be a, a proud to wear no matter what I go through. And because it's a name that makes sure that it's the only name that I'll ever wear. There's salvation found in no other name. A message like this is fairly controversial in our world which makes me really sad. And it makes me sad because it should be the simplest message ever preached. Let's just go back to Jesus. That should be the easiest message anybody ever preaches in the world. Let's just go back and see what the Bible says. But because of centuries and, and decades of all kinds of division, and all kinds of labeling, and all kinds of false teaching, and all kinds of other things, we feel like we have to differentiate ourselves by all these names and titles and differences and everything else. When the only name that God chose was Christian. And I pray constantly, that's all I'll ever be. And I pray constantly, 
That's the only message I'll ever preach. And I pray constantly. That's all we as a congregation ever strive to be. I don't want to be a brand name Christian. I just want to be Christ's one. If that's what you desire to be, we're not asking you this morning to become a church of Christ. We're not asking you this morning to become a church of Christ Christian. We're asking you to become a Christian just like you read about in the New Testament. And that only. As preachers have said for decades, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. How do you do that? You put on the one whose name you're going to wear. And the New Testament makes it clear that you put His name on by being buried with Him in baptism. And when you're buried with Him in baptism, you come up out of the waters wearing His name because you're His. Do you need to do that this morning? Or do you need to return to Him in faithfulness this morning? Whatever you need is, will you come? Always stand and sing to encourage you.